Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. If it seems that the world is moving faster and faster with the rapid evolution of AI and other technologies, the digitalization of healthcare infrastructure is not changing with that speed. However, countries across Europe are ambitiously pursuing digitalization efforts. On top of that, the European Health Data Space Legal Framework is the basis for enabling secondary use of data on the EU level, and some countries in the EU are already leveraging the MyHealth at EU infrastructure for cross-border health information accessibility and services such as e-prescriptions. In this episode, you will get an insight in the state of healthcare and digitalization in Germany, Netherlands and Slovenia. All three countries have published their new digitalization strategies in the last six months. Slovenia plans to gradually expand the annual budget for e-health from 6 million euros per year to 80 million euros per year. Hospitals in Germany received 4.3 billion euros for digitalization projects and need to demonstrate by 2024 that funded projects have been implemented and are making an impact. And the Netherlands passed a new electronic data exchange in healthcare law in April and plans on spending 1.4 billion euros for healthcare digitalization by 2026. The challenge with healthcare digitalization and reforms is complex due to various data privacy concerns, the digital divide, integration issues among different healthcare information systems, different complexities of healthcare systems design, and legal constraints from the past that now need to be changed. You will hear a little bit more about this in the discussion with the representatives of healthcare ministries from Slovenia, Germany and the Netherlands. Enjoy the show, and if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to the episode, and also check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. Now let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining this discussion about healthcare digitalization across Europe and how three countries, Slovenia, Germany, and the Netherlands, are approaching the future in terms of the digital transformation of healthcare. I would like to give a warm welcome to Alenka Kolar from the Slovenian Ministry of Health, where she's an acting director general for the Directorate for Digitalization in Healthcare. Then we've got Sebastian Zilch from the German Federal Ministry of Health. He's the head of eHealth for the Gematic and Telematics Infrastructure. And then Bianca Ronhorst from the Ministry of Health, Welfare and Sports in the Netherlands. She's the CIO, also leading basically on the digital transformation in the Netherlands. So we've got three countries with different sizes, basically Slovenia with two million people, which is approximately one region in, in 
the Netherlands. Then we've got the Netherlands, which is quite a few times larger than Slovenia, and obviously the Germany, which is divided into 16 federal states because of its size. And all these kind of brings additional complexities uh, to how you want to digitize the country. For a brief introduction, we will begin with short descriptions of each country. So maybe we can start with Slovenia, which is the smallest. Um, Alenka, can you maybe share a few basic information about Slovenia in terms of the health insurance, the current state of digitalization, and what are the plans with the healthcare digitalization strategy for Slovenia? Okay, thank you and hello to everyone. I never met any one of you from Germany and the Holland. So let me start. Slovenia, as Tiasha said, is pretty small. We are 2 million inhabitants. We have this public insurance company for 30 years since we separated from Yugoslavia and we had something similar back then also. So every person who is employed has to put some of the money aside. It's not from the person's choice, but it has to be put for the public insurance. And for this public insurance, we are then paid for almost every service in the healthcare. We have a small part that we are gathering not as a must, but optional, 35 euros per month. But if you don't pay this 35 euros per month, some of the services or part of some of the services has to be paid from your pocket when you are in hospital or in healthcare. Of course, the digitalization started 30 years ago with this healthcare insurance. This was the first place the digitalization took place. But then in the beginning of 2000, we started to digitalize other things as e-health. It started on the Ministry of Health, but then it was in 2015 transformed or the whole, the whole group was then taken by the National Healthcare Institute and it's still there. This is not the smartest solution. There are 17 people employed that deal with this e-health. This is the, uh, the special security, security schema, how to access this e-health. Every person in Slovenia can do it by a mobile device or by a portal. There are some data already on this national e chart it some other name it's currently have but we are gathering some of the data all the prescription for pharmacies are digitalized and also all the orders are also digitalized so you can get the digital prescription and go to any pharmacy in Slovenia and you can get the drug you are prescribed or you can have this digital order that you need some other doctor and you go to any doctor in Slovenia and he must take or she must take this order and take you into consideration. Of course, we have long waiting lines. Unfortunately, COVID even worsened these this lines. You can wait for some of the special treatment, five, even seven years. We are trying to lessen this, that everybody can be checked first check in one month and some very special treatment in six months. This is the goal that our minister has set in front of us. But this, we still have the insurance company and they still have a lot of data gathered because they pay for every service in healthcare, but they don't want to share it. They don't like to share this data, although the health insurance is completely public. On the other side, the National Health Institute gathers more data about clinical data, all the, all the results of your exams. We are trying to put that in a structured way. We are using open EHR database so that every healthcare provider will have to put the data in a certain way to the national e-chart. 
We are currently now changing the law. It's called the law of digital, of digital health. And uh, we are changing it on a basis of a strategy that was begun work on it on the late autumn or in autumn 2021 and it was presented to the public in January this year. It was done by the funds of European Union and we are quite proud on that strategy. You can go get it in English if you want. It's published on the ministry website and the whole the whole law that it's now going into the procedure on our government basis is its basis is this strategy. And the most important things in these strategies are, of course, governance of data. We are trying to establish a new public company that will gather all the IT personnel in one company because we currently have 9,000 beds in our hospitals and we only have 130 IT personnel in these hospitals. So pretty sad numbers. You know that IT guys can be paid very well and they cannot be paid in the debt when we are in public service. So this is something like Estonia has done with their company. They also have their own company and I think Portugal has the same. We will deliver the results in a modular way. We will not develop one single big solution from one provider, but smaller modules put on the data level and all the data should be organized by open EHR standards. So this is something that we are doing now and also providing with this law the good financing or secure financing for IT all development and maintenance so that we will take 3% from every every euro gathered in public health insurance and take these 3% for the IT exactly for the IT. It should not go somewhere else but into the hardware and software and data centers and things like that. Here we currently are and I think my 10 minutes are over. So thank you, Tiasha. Thank you for that introduction. So we can move to the Netherlands. As Alinka mentioned, 3% attributed to healthcare IT. A good portion is between 3 to 5. We know that oftentimes hospitals invest even less. I think the current number for Slovenia is actually half percent of the hospital budget for IT. That's why I think that the Netherlands is interesting because as far as I'm aware, you've got really strong IT teams in hospitals. So maybe you can start there. Talk about the general digitalization of hospitals and healthcare providers in the Netherlands and what's the biggest issue with the challenges that you have in regards to connectivity of the data and the historic reasons for that. Thank you, Chiasa. Yes, we have a great number of IT personnel in our hospitals, but we have a private system of healthcare. So we have 45,000 of healthcare institutions who are very diverse. So that's also the GPs, but and also the the hospitals. So the hospitals, they have a lot of IT personnel and also the knowledge. But the other partitions in the healthcare system, they don't have that that access to the knowledge and to the capacity. That is also one of our questions, how we are going to use the knowledge and and capacity who who are working for the hospitals. And they are private. So there's uh, not so much the problem of the payments because the private parties pays indeed better than than we will uh, when it will be in the public sector. But that's one of our questions for the next years. How are we going to 
use the knowledge and the capacity of the hospitals to get also the other sectors, sections between the healthcare system into the digitalization. Our current state of digitalization is that yeah, we have a, a, a basic digital maturity of the, for the healthcare institutions. Most used form of digitalization in the healthcare sector is the e-consult, used over 94% of the general practitioners in 2022. And between 80 and 90% of the general practitioners and hospitals offer patients digital access to their medical files via an online portal. But that are the single portals. So there are only the data of that kind of the health hospital or the general practice. And that is not a portal where the data is coming together so that the citizen has one portal where he can see all of their data, healthcare data. So our key challenges in, in the data interoperability and data consolidation are that data sharing in healthcare is often limited this time to specific institutions or regions and making it difficult to have access to the right medical information for proper care. Hospitals don't have the medication data, for instance. Yeah, you can see that the problems are with that. Everything has to be asked by the citizen at this moment. We are focusing on standardizing language by standards and technology, so SFIRE and open APAs in healthcare to facilitate data exchange between healthcare providers and patients. We aim to improve the entire healthcare I-state landscape, ensuring that data is readily available when needed, reducing repetitive data entry for healthcare professionals and minimizing administrative burdens. And that the last is at this moment the the highest reason to to go for the data data interoperability because I think it's the same in Slovenia and in uh, Germany. We don't have the care keepers, the health providers anymore. We have a, a, lack, a short of lack in that. So that's why we are going to do this digital transformation. Our goal is to establish a data-centric network with optimal data availability to meet the needs of healthcare providers, patients, and researchers, so for primary and secondary use. We have a history that we didn't do much the last years, because in 2009, we started a project to develop and create a national electronic patient record system easy access to patient data for all Dutch prof professionals, one system to connect all local systems. But in 2011, just a few months before it was scheduled to go live, the Dutch Senate trashed the law that would make this possible. They did so on the grounds of protecting the patient's privacy and they forbade, forbade from that moment, government to try to build a national infrastructure again. And they forbade the government to, to do any of activities at that topic. So they said it's at the, the private market to establish that. Instead of top-down then, we are now working bottom-up. 
Co-creating with all stakeholders to accomplish this, we have created a National Health Information Council in which all stakeholders are represented and the council focuses on people, privacy and professionals. However, interoperability is a major challenge in the Netherlands due to the market-based healthcare system. So the healthcare fields urge the government to take more control to fix the interoperability problem a few years back. So since two years, we may do some activities from the government to get the interoperability uh, for all the sections and patients in the Netherlands. This has, for instance, resulted in the unanimous agreement in the Senate with the law on electronic data exchange in healthcare three weeks ago, and we are very happy with it. So I think this is our state of in the Netherlands, and we have a national vision and strategy who we have sent to the parliament six weeks ago, and that's for our goal for the next years until 2035, where data and data and interoperability and data consolidation are our goals. Thank you, Bianca. One follow-up question. So the law that you mentioned that was designed a few weeks ago, did that already go into effect or is it still in, in the debate in the parliament? No, we have a unanimous go for it. So from the Senate and the, and the parliament, and it will be in going in at the 1st of July of 2020. 23, so first of the about a month, I think. And it's set on use cases and are almost the same use cases as that we have on the EHDS. Okay, thank you. I think that's an important information because oftentimes laws get drafted, but then they just don't survive when going through the public debate and through the parliament. It's good to know that you actually pulled that through. Yeah. It was a very good moment because we have 20 20 parties in Parliament, and it was unanimous. And that is, in Holland, something that never happens for you, Ferrand. Okay, yeah, so I'm sure that this is a great cue for Sebastian to comment on unanimously agreeing what the definition of interoperability privacy is. So tell us a little bit more about Germany, the federal states, the fact that each federal state basically is in charge of healthcare, and how does that impact the state of healthcare digitalization. In one of the previous episodes that I had, a speaker from Germany said that Germans joke that Germany has the best analog healthcare system in the world. How do you see the progress in the digitalization and what uh, are you most uh, you know, excited about in terms of the new strategy? Yeah, thank you very much. I think we are definitely in a phase of catching up with other countries in this respect. But let's start a little bit with talking about how healthcare is organized in Germany. You have already mentioned the federal states, but that's not all to the truth. We have several layers of complexity and responsibility. So we have the federal government, which is responsible for the overall healthcare provision. Then we have the lender, which are resp responsible for the financing of hospitals, but not the outpatient treatment. And this is the political responsibilities. In addition to this, we have a layer of self-government, which means that our statutory health insurance funds and the physicians' organizations, the hospital organization, they actually negotiate a lot between each other. So basically, when we make a law on the federal level, 
only very few have a direct impact. Mostly we provide a framework for self-government agents to basically negotiate within this scope and then follow through. We have, in addition to this, also in terms of healthcare insurance, a mixed system. So we have 90% of all our of the population insured with the public insurance and 10% with the private insurance. So, and usually since private insurance pays a bit better, they get usually a faster and better access when it comes to healthcare provision. But interestingly enough, in terms of digitization, they are in a disadvantage because all the regulations that we provide in terms of electronic health records, for example, they are for the public health insurance system. And we can force that system to basically comply with the rules, which means that in terms of digitization, everyone in the public system benefits from e-prescription and electronic health records before the private system does. So what's the key message? it's complicated. This system has been responsible for digital transformation for many years, and this probably is part of the reason why we are behind in many respects. For example, for roughly, yeah, I think it's about 20 years now, there was political commitment to introduce an electronic health record for the patients, because we had a huge scandal in terms of medication interactions. And then it was clear this can't be the case. We need healthcare information to be used to prevent this. And then debate started. Then we had the negotiation within the self-government system, physicians being afraid of transparency, health insurance being afraid of paying too much. This all changed back and forth. We also have an agency responsible for taking care of digital transformation. It's called Gematic, and they were also governed by this mechanism. So only three years ago, basically, the federal government took over the largest share of that company to have a larger influence on what is actually happening and happening in terms of digital healthcare. When it comes to the solutions that we offer, I think we have roughly most relevant players are connected to a common secure infrastructure. We also have a lot of applications for it, for example, e-prescription, electronic health record. But the big problem is it's not being used. So that's a big struggle for us. We have less than 1% using our electronic health record. We have, I don't even know if we have percentages here on e-prescription. And both of them have like stories to tell about them, but I think that would be too much. So this, in addition to actually a very broad consensus also in this country that we need to go ahead, we actually need digital transformation to make healthcare future-proof has made us start a process of creating a national digital health strategy. And we are very proud that we could publish it in March and setting a new pace in it and actually also setting out an ambitious path where we want to be and what we want to do. We are currently preparing legislation as well. We have two large acts in the pipeline. One is more focused on getting the electronic health record up and running by means of turning it from an opt-in to an opt-out logic. 
I think this is like one of the largest things we do. But not only that, because it would be very boring to just put a, an empty bucket somewhere. We want it. We want there to be information in it. So we want to intertwine it with our e-prescription. So basically, everything that's being prescribed is automatically transferred in the health record. So the physicians actually have reason to use it so that it becomes part of a care process. Because right now it's an add-on. So it's understandable that you know nobody really uses it. And then for that to work, we also need to make usage of e-prescription compulsory. So there will be penalties if people don't use it. And we prepare all of that right now. That's the one part. The other part is also in terms of using data for research, but also for basically for care. There's a second law in the pipeline, and we uh, hope that both will actually be in effect January next year. So that's what we do right now, so that we don't just talk strategy, but that we actually do something. Challenges, maybe that's a thing. I think also the colleagues in the Netherlands, we also had a quick discussion before this format at a point. Data protection is a big issue because it's not necessarily that it's really about data protection, but there's a cultural tradition that you automatically say, oh no, we have to protect the data. But the question is, what from? Because I think we have to come to a discussion where it's about safe usage of data, because we don't want to use data for the sake of using them. We want to provide better healthcare and we want to also save costs. There's so much that comes out of it. But that is a cultural discussion that we still have to face and uh, also a few others. But I think in a nutshell, we are confident that now we are on a good path. We still know there's a huge challenge ahead of us to actually maneuver the complexity of our system and the complexity of digitization itself. We all know that, right? Every digital transformation requires also changing processes. Everyone has to adapt their behavior. So that's not a piece of cake, right? It's a huge transformation project and we are just in the middle of making it happen. Can you elaborate a little bit on that 1% that you mentioned around the use of EHR data? So does that refer to healthcare providers? So 1% of healthcare providers actually input the data in the, no. the system or? It's a bit. So I think that's also a German particularity. So we have, when we talk about electronic health record, we call it elektronische Patientenakte. This is basically not where physicians document. All physicians and all hospitals, they have digital documentation. They have electronic health records in their institutions. But when it comes to actually the individual accessing their information, that's what we call like the personal electronic health record. So to say that's less than 1% of the population actually using it. And that means since it's an opt-in, you actually have to apply for it. And then you have your, your record but then you also need to find a physician who actually fills it. So you have to go there and say, can you please fill this? And they say, no, you're the only one who ever wanted it. I don't really want to learn how it works. My system isn't ready for it and so on. And that's a big problem. So you have mm -hmm. the hen and the egg and the question is what has to come first? So we want to put that all together at the same time. And this is the opt-out logic, which other people, other countries have successfully implemented with this 
This reminds me very much to the situation that Australia was actually in with their My Health record. They also started with the opt-in system. It didn't pick up exactly for the reasons that she mentioned. Then they went yeah. into the opt-out system. But I guess when it comes to the patient electronic records on a national level, countries always face this weird period of time where you don't have all the providers contributing the data in this electronic healthcare record yet. So other providers don't want to use it because it's incomplete. So it's unreliable. Yeah. So you somehow yeah. need to get through that uh, specific period in, in time. And it's oftentimes also a huge cultural change where it's up to the hospitals to make sure that the adoption kicks in and that the systems are designed in a way that it's not an additional burden for clinicians to actually input the data, even if it's just a button that they need to click inside the systems. Yeah. Just one, one thing to add on this, that's also for us a very important issue. And we actually want to make it compulsory to start with a certain set of information. So we'll start with medication and then we have a list of priorities. We think also about laboratory data, but also, for example, when you leave a hospital, the summary of that basically also should go in there. So we basically name a few because we notice also that the our providers they struggle a lot with because of the same problem, right? What to implement first and what will actually be bought by a hospital or by an outpatient provider. So we basically want to provide clarity and structure and priorities so that the entire system can actually focus on making something work. Alinka, can you maybe provide a comment here? How complete is the electronic healthcare patient record in Slovenia at the moment? How are healthcare providers encouraged or obliged to, imp to, to contribute the data to the record and maybe any changes that are planned in this regard? I was shocked about 1% first to say <laughs> because we forced the nation to use the EHR during the COVID because all the digital certificates were on the EHR. This was a very good decision when the COVID was here. But 99.5% providers are using e-prescriptions. There are no more, e no more prescriptions on a paper form, almost no more. And we are with a new law, we are forcing the, all the healthcare providers, either public or private, you cannot be a healthcare provider if you are not connected to the national EHR. This will be the law. And if some hospital or some healthcare provider will not want to put their data on the EHR, uh, national EHR to sell to say, not that the, the hospital will be punished, but the physical person, the manager of the hospital will get a fine because otherwise it just it's not possible. And doctors do need data from other healthcare providers. They are very interested in that. We, let's say, have the biggest problem with psychiatric care. They don't want to put any data on the national EHR because they are not sure if this is safe. And our new law states that some opt out already, but some patients can close some data regarding psychiatric healthcare, uh, gynecology and genetics. Others, we don't want them to even have the possibility to hide. I know this will be some battle will be led with our data protection officers, but the doctor said, if I don't see that people are having all the data, I will say I will not operate or I will not be responsible for your di diagnosis if I don't have all your data. So... There is some, how do you say, carrot and stick in this case. 
Bianca, moving to Netherlands again, you mentioned that basically you now have a, a new legislation that will support interoperability efforts. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So the Netherlands also have a nationally developed ZIPS common data model. So I'm wondering how that falls into the story. Is it making things easier? Is it making things harder when you try to exchange data? Now, so we we have in by this law five use cases that we are going to standardize by indeed the SIPs, and we are doing the same thing as Slovenia is that we are going to to say that the hospitals and the GPs has to give their data also for the personal health care environments when you get paid by the insurance com- company for giving care. Then you also have to give your data, otherwise you don't get paid. That's what we are going to mention in the legislation. And we are doing that for five use cases, patient summary, the medication, e-prescription, but also already a use case for the long, the elderly care. So not only the hospitals and the GPs, but also a use case for the elderly care, because we want to go to an, a network care that there will be and the when someone is going from the hospital or come from the home and go to into the elderly care and carekeeper is eight hours at this moment eight hours with the administration and filling in all the the data in their own systems and they don't have one system there are a couple of systems that kind of stuff what sebastian said i agree very you have to uh, bring the data and the need of data into the process of care, then the carekeepers will use it. And, and we do in our legislation also say what well, you have to, when you will be paid for delivering your care, you also have to deliver your data, otherwise you don't get paid. When it comes to digitalization, if we now move into kind of the investment space, basically technology always requires funding and investment. And what I'm wondering is, what are the plans in in that regard? And we can just start with you, Bianca. So is there already a very clear dedicated funding that is going to go into the digitalization future efforts? Yes, we have for the government, this government agreement, eh, that we have four years of government and they make the agreements and with agreements of digitalization, we have an amount of money. That's not enough, I'll tell you, but it's, but it's a start. And to start to get the, the basics um, that we need, we are just looking at now at an, at an infrastructure, uh, general services, eh? identity and authority and local or localization and the five use cases by legislation. So we try to invest from the government side, but we also ask investments from the hospitals and the GPs and the other sections. And we know, and that's what we are looking by use case, that you investment, you're investing here, but you get the profits somewhere else. So we are looking over that and then we we'll, from government side we will investment or help the investment because the profits will not be at the hospitals. 
for example. Mm-hmm. Is there a number that's being mentioned in terms of the amount of money that the government specifically well, is going to invest? 1.4 billion. <laughs> and that's for the from 2022 to 2026. Okay. So, Sebastian, what's your side of the story? So, how much is Germany investing? Already for a few years ago, there's been quite a large investments in basically supporting healthcare IT for research purposes, for digitalization of hospitals. HIMS even did, together with Germany, an assessment of the hospital digital maturity. So maybe you can continue where you left off earlier in terms of the poor use to what is the current state of digitalization at the moment and like concrete numbers in terms of the investments that you plan to put into these efforts. Yeah, I think you you have to differentiate again the sectors we are talking of, right? There's, so there's public health care, there's the ambulatory care, and there's hospital care. And in terms of hospital care, so I'll start with the thing we we are we are very proud of, and I think it's also working really well. And that's the Hospital Future Fund we set up, and it provides roughly four billion euros to our hospitals. And this money can be used for very specific projects, for example, setting up patient portals for better interactions, also for other clinical processes, exchanging information and so on. And there was a huge uptake in this program. And the condition for receiving this money was that you had to take part in this maturity measurement scheme, which makes Germany, I think, the largest scale maturity measurement project that we have in, in this world, because there was like 1,600 hospitals taking part of it. We have developed a tool which is called Clinical Radar. So it's based on scoring, but it's a bit more differentiated and works better in Germany. We also have the HIMSS MRAM scores. And they are zero, so that doesn't really help us much. We have an adaption of this model, and there's going to be two points in time where we actually also want to evaluate has this money actually have an effect on the hospitals and on the level of digitization. So I think this is one part. I think the sad part of that story, but I don't have to tell you about that much yet. The funding will end 2024 and we'll have to see what happens after because for years the hospital sector has been underfunded. We're currently in a huge structural reform of hospitals. So the hospital landscape is going to change. And with this, probably also the financing of digitization will have to change. But We're in an early stage. It's on our uh, radar, but we don't have a solution yet how to maintain actually good funding in terms of digitization in hospitals. In the ambulatory sector, I think if we were in more prosperous fiscal times, we could have probably thought of setting something similar up. But there we basically don't have a reward scheme or an incentive scheme at this point. We are also currently working over the way it's financed to be connected to our infrastructure and for some of the applications. We have changed that model too because before we only had one trend in terms of cost and was upward. So basically every update, every new version of the of the parts that we needed to actually use the telematics infrastructure turned out to be more expensive, more expensive. And now we basically have a flat rate payment. 
and we're going to see how this works. It's supposed to start in July. And as you can imagine, there's going to be a bit of a debate about that, as huge changes usually are. So that's what we do. And I can't really tell you the numbers yet because we're still working it out currently how much mm -hmm. we're actually going to pay. So by 2024, the 1,600 hospitals that participated in the assessments are eligible to apply for funding for specific use cases. They had to already do that in order to actually be eligible for the funds, but they have to finish their projects by 2024. Okay. And they so... have to get the money out of the fund by the end of this year. So if the projects are not implemented, what happens then? Because for EHRs or any specific models, it can take, if you do it in a year, it's usually fast if you manage to implement, say, medication management or an EPR in the hospital. They have to prove that the project is finished. And if not, they have to pay some money back. Okay, thank you. Alinka, a brief comment and numbers for Slovenia. What are the planned investments? There you mentioned in the beginning that the plan is to establish a national company, that there's a planned change for a percentage of the insurance money to go into healthcare IT. So can we talk about more specific numbers and plans? Yeah, we are currently financing from the state budget only the what's current EH, EHR or eHealth. And we are putting some 6 million per year. This is way not enough money to establish the whole infrastructure and to take to have everything maintained. But the plan is to take approximately 80 million per year from this 3%. This is 3% and put it into hospitals and into the central e-health system. So everything should be paid by this 80 million at the beginning. And it's already in the law that we will raise this percentage from three to six in five years so we can catch up the digitalization of healthcare. We also have 83 millions from recovery funds that we have to use till the end of 2026. And this is quite a challenge for a very low numbers of IT staff currently in Slovenian IT healthcare. So in the last few years, especially as a consequence of the pandemic, a lot more funding was attributed to healthcare digitalization. A lot of funding was also available from the European Union side. And one thing I think, Alenka, that you mentioned in one of your presentations in the past is that basically a lot of the funding is available for investments, but business models from healthcare IT providers are based on subscriptions and subscriptions don't really count as an investment. So how do you all look at the long-term sustainability in terms of the investments and maintenance of digital infrastructures in healthcare? This is why we said, okay, we will have some investment from EU funding, but the maintenance should be taken care of from the service provided, like the, like in every, every company that's not healthcare. It should give something to IT from their products or their services. And this is how we will take it from the service, from, from what healthcare does. Some part of that should be for the maintenance and after the recovery funds also for in the investment. Sebastian, Bianca, do you guys have any additional comments in terms of future funding for healthcare digitalization? No, no. At the NLS, we're thinking the same. It has to be in the maintenance and in the budget of the, the private hospitals and the, and the GPs. So it's a normal cost, just like labor costs. Okay. 
I think maybe to add on to this, and I think that's what I touched on with the flat rate payment. Right now, we have a mainstream mindset that it's an add-on to have access to digital infrastructures and to actually be part of this. And this means they, like the physicians, they expect like complete reimbursement for everything they invest in digitization. And we believe this is not (laughs) how it should work because they in the end benefit from it as well because it it doesn't it might not seem that way but without it they will not be able to operate their business which is healthcare deliverance in the future so we need to start that debate and we expect it to be an interesting one alinka yeah i would like to add to what sebastian said Let's say Mercedes company, in every car that they sell, there is so much price for the SAP they have, for all the SCADA they have. It it should be the same for the healthcare services. For the IT guys and girls, it's all the same. It's the service or the product that should take care for the the, uh, costs. We just have 10 minutes for our discussion. So I want to also touch upon the topic of the European health data space, which I think from the patient perspective, we all look forward to theoretically. You know, it's a great idea to know that if you go abroad and forgot your medications at home, especially if you're a chronic patient, that you can simply go to a pharmacy and get a new prescription. Some countries in Europe already enable cross-border exchange. This is not a new idea. A lot of projects on the European level have been happening in the past, like Ipsos, to try to figure out how to encourage cross-border data exchange. But as we've, I think, alluded to in these discussions, we already have challenges with interoperability and data exchange on national level. So how basically are is each of the country planning on moving forward with the European health data space and how, yeah, what's the current state in that regard? Shall I start? Sure. I think we, our goal is to use the EHDS to get the our national state of data interoperability further. We, we support the EHDS. The, our use cases are pretty the same. When it, the EHDS is coming, it helps us to get the state of interoperability in the Netherlands a step further. We have some particular things in the EHS which nationally in the Netherlands are difficult. That's especially the opt-in and the opt-out system because our parliament wants to content on the consent for uh, with opt-in, but that's, uh, that's for data and interoperability. I know you have to an opt-out, so... That's that's difficult, but so we try to use the EHDS for the next steps nationally wise. Okay, thank you. Sebastian? I think it's a similar picture here. In terms of secondary use, I think we have a very fruitful discussion going on. I think it's a very positive perspective we have currently. Obviously, there's also one or two things um, that are still under debate. I think that's normal. It's a massive regulation coming ahead, and we need to fully understand and fully match it with the requirements of the member states. And in terms of primary data, which is also a very important case here, I think there's just a few things we, we really have to 
match it to our requirements. And I think at one point it's an advantage that it's happening in parallel to us, for example, switching from opt-in to opt-out with the electronic health record to actually making it available. And it basically provides support for our national debate to have this European regulation coming up so that we can actually make probably larger steps than we could without. But obviously there are some concerns there too especially due also to the setup that I mentioned earlier, because we having access to electronic health records for us is very complex if you really want to access the individual physician's primary systems. For other countries, that might be easier, but for us, that is still a major topic. But I think we're having good discussions here, and we're also really much looking forward to actually having it finished and see what it unfolds to. Do you have any timeline expectations in terms of when Germany could join the European Health Data Space? The TechDAS report that outlined the state of digitalization across more than a dozen European countries mentions that basically Germany already asked for an extension in the deadlines for the European Health Data Space. I think you might actually put together two different tracks because there's the European Health Data Space, which is currently under negotiation. And will basically, or is independent of what you refer to, for example, having the patient summary and the e-prescription being interchanged between the countries. So the first point, uh, my health at EU infrastructure, we, we are trying to catch the next wave with the electronic the patient record. Yes, other countries are faster than we are, but I've already explained our past on this, but we are confident that we are moving forward here. Okay, and we can finish up with Slovenia. So, Alinka, what's the situation around EHDS? We are eagerly awaiting this this EHDS because, as Bianca Sebastian said, IT personnel will use this into our advantage. And in Slovenian nation, there is a speciality. If Alinka said something, it's not okay. But if it's come from Brussels, it's great and we will do it. And we will even get the money to do that. I can hardly await. We are already prepared our new law to to that what's now in the HDS. We know we will have to change because there's some changes will be made in this document, but we are prepared. And as I said, we really cannot wait to happen. E-prescription from Slovenia will go this year into the European space. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast subscribe to the show or follow us on LinkedIn. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.